Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome to another episode of the Goblin Lore Podcast. Uh, this is Taya. I'm here with Alex tonight. Hobbs is off, resting after uh, doing a couple of pods on the Predators for Change fundraiser over the weekend. Uh, I also did a pod. Um, you know, we did a pretty good showing for the Goblins over here. We both won. Uh, I don't know how Hobbs did yesterday, but uh, um, we both won games on Saturday. So pretty good showing from the Goblins. Uh, and we raised uh, over $2,000 for Equality Texas and Equality Florida. So it was a pretty good weekend. And want to thank the Grinding Coffee Company who help us with our fundraisers when we have them. Uh, they weren't involved with this fundraiser because we were working with a different group. Uh, but uh, they always help us out and we're happy to have them uh, participate with our show. But uh, yeah, so we're going to have a, a talk today about uh, a mechanical episode with Alex and I <laughs> being on together. Uh, we always like talking mechanics and Melthos things. So uh, it's time for another Goblin Mechanics episode. Uh, we're going to be building some artifacts uh, like good <laughs> goblins do. That's right. And So we're going to start with the opening question, and that is uh, what mechanic that hasn't been seen for a while would you like to see back? And mine is going to be Hellbent. Uh, like a good red mage, I like using all my spells, and I'd like to have some bonus for being out of cards or low on cards or out of cards. And I think they could do a lot more in that space, especially if they open it up to more than just Rakdos colors. And there's a lot of mechanical opportunity they could do for um, things, bonuses you could get for being hellbent in other colors. So. Yeah, and and even like Hellbent, you know, just a, a mechanic that turns on when you have no cards in your hand, like that work, could work well with other mechanics, which kind of fits into my thing. So I'm Alex, as, as Taya said, my pronouns are he, him. I found on Twitter sometimes, Mel underscore chronicler, whatever. Um, but but I need to answer this question sort of sideways because that's my brand. That's what I do. So the, the, the mechanic, and I'm using air quotes that you can't see, is what I would really like to see more of, because these are some of the just most interesting cards to me, despite the fact that often they just aren't terribly useful in the formats I play are what Mark Rosewater, the, who's the, the head designer of magic called the mix and match cards, I believe is what he called these from future site. So we'll get into, as we get talk about mechanics, I get to talk about the time spiral block again tonight, which is just my favorite set of cards. Um, but the future site, the third set in that block had a cycle of cards that combined two mechanics that were never in sets together and did some funky things with that. And and I, I love these sorts of cards. So I've talked about like Marshalling Cry on this podcast is like one of my absolute favorite cards that I don't play because it's really not terribly good, but it's just a all your creatures get plus and plus one in Vigilance. It's a sorcery, but it has both cycling and flashback. So with cycling, you can discard it to draw a card and then flashback, you can cast it from your graveyard. But because it has both of these mechanics, there's a lot of different play lines you can do with this spell. You could cast it conventionally and flash it back. You can cycle it and flash it back. There's just a lot of options of what to do with this card. And then you have things like Sprout Swarm that are probably too strong <laughs> with Convoke and Buyback and it creating creature tokens. And so Convoke letting your creature tokens start to tap to pay the spell and once you get enough of them you're kind of going infinite with the spell almost it's i love these sorts of things 
we got a couple things a little bit tiny bit like this in in modern horizons one and two both had red spells red sorceries that had two mechanics on them but they didn't really play with each other in the same way like throws of chaos i love has cascade it has retrace so yeah Mm-hmm. It has no other thing that the card itself does, but you cast it, you start flipping cards off your deck, you get to cast something, and then Retrace lets you just recast it from your graveyard by discarding a land and paying the mana so you can just kind of cast it again. Like, I love that interaction, but those two aren't, like, specifically interacting in the same way that these mix-and-match cards from, from Future Sight did. Yeah, and... I think that segues well into what our main topic is going to be in, and it's going to be generally discussing the complexity of where the game has gone today um, mechanically and where things are. And I think it's interesting because uh, I came up with this topic this morning when we were trying to figure out what to discuss on the show uh, without Hobbs being here. And I came up with this topic and then just this morning, uh, the professor released a video on the same topic. Yep. Which is amazing timing. But there, there's a few things on that video when I want to talk about first. And one was the mind-blowing fact that there had not been a vanilla creature printed in a standard set since Strixhaven until Yargle and Miltani was printed uh, in March of the Machine. And the only reason that was printed as a vanilla creature is because that's just part of the creature itself, is that it... You, you know, Yargle is a vanilla creature. It's just keyword big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and like for a long time, that was a big thing that helped kind of control complexity in in the set. You just had cards that had creatures that had no abilities, or you, then you'd have some like creatures that enter the battlefield effects that once they trigger, then they're done. They're vanilla once they're in play, and so things like that helped to kind of control this. And God, I hadn't realized that there we haven't had a vanilla creature for two years. Yeah. I, that blew my mind when the professor talked about that. And I, I mean, I haven't been playing a lot of standard sets. I, I'm almost exclusively playing commander now. So I, I haven't seen what the draft environments are like lately. Uh, I, I kind of stopped going to Friday night, um, Friday night magic when the pandemic started and, I'm not a big arena player, so I'm not up on draft environments. So, I mean, this just, for me, was mind-blowing because I'm so used to, you know, your curve fillers being your your colossal dreadmaws, your, mm-hmm. you know, 6-5 for 5 or whatever. Yeah, and, like, how many sets have had have had a grizzly bear, which is just a 2-2 two, two yeah. for 2. Like, that's just a, a, that was a standard metric, that draft uh, folks who talk about draft a lot that use that kind of as a standard measurement for cards. They're just like, you know, certain formats, it's not good, but most formats, a two, two for two is a good curve filler. Like you said, Taya. And so the fact that we just haven't had those cards for two years is kind of. A- yeah, it's, um, I mean, now the, the replacement, you know, that, you know, he showed off in the video is, a 2-2 two, two with lifelink for two. That That's what the replacement is now in a draft set. And that's still your 23rd card. Yeah. Yeah, and that is is still less complexity than some of these other cards with a lot of text on it, but it's that suddenly becomes something you have to track on the battlefield. You need to pay attention to life gain from lifelink that your opponent can gain or that you can gain as opposed to, yeah, that does two damage. They trade or 
it dies or whatever. Yeah, plus all the other things that lifelink can trigger on the battlefield. Oh, that's true. Yeah, then you'll whatever life gain is triggering, and yep. So, yeah, it, it's the game has become more complex, and then we look into products that you know are designed towards new players or to bring players into the game that are not as familiar with it, like Universes Beyond and Doctor Who, um, it being the most recent. I don't know if, if if you've played with these decks at all, but the complexity level of these decks is mind numb. It, it's it's absolutely off the charts. I mean, you've got playing from exile, you've got cascade, you've got cycling or not cycling, but uh, suspend. You, you know, you have legend on legendary on everything. Partners, you can mix and match partners with everything. I just recently played a game with three people that are longtime magic players that, you know, we played a D and D campaign together for years that used magic as its combat system. And all of them had been away from the game for over at least a year. And we played a whole pot of the doctor who decks and all of them were like, I have no idea what's going on in this game. And that's just how complex this is. And this is a product that is like, let's bring people into magic that might be interested in Doctor Who, but aren't into magic. Yeah. There's Storm in here vanishing. Multiple yeah. cards with vanishing. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I hadn't I, was, I hadn't really looked at, at this set too much. That's a whole other conversation about how much stuff is coming out. And, and Doctor Who is as excited, as I, happy as I am for how excited people are. It's a thing I know nothing about. So I just sort of checked out from from these cards. I hadn't looked at them too deeply, but yeah. And, and like you're saying, Taya, like it, it's incredible, not just that there's this much complexity and that was a thing for a while. Like the, the game got really complex. We kind of get into some of that history in a little bit, but then one of the steps that was taken was to pull that complexity into other products and try to leave standard, which was at the time, like the default people play new people sort of kind of funnel through draft and standard. And to try to make those a little bit less complex and shove that complexity into other places. But now Commander is the most popular format. And a lot of people are coming in for Commander. And then you've got things like Doctor Who and Lord of the Rings and upcoming Fallout and all sorts of other properties that are getting people to look at magic because they're from those, those fandoms. And if they come in, like my I'll say my dad is is someone who hasn't played Magic for 20 years, but he started playing because of the Lord of the Rings sets. And so the complexity of some of these sets makes it awkward <laughs> to, for people coming back into these things. I'm like, I know in, in a couple of years, we've got Final Fantasy coming up and I, I work with someone who actually plays. I didn't know this, but Final Fantasy has their own collectible card game. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it's still going, but yeah, yeah they I, did have a, a, a at one point a fairly sizable collectible card game. Yeah, and and that's the thing he plays. He's never really played Magic, but I told him about that. And he's like, "Oh, well, maybe maybe it'll be time for me to look at Magic in, in, in a little bit." So these these sets are doing a good job of in the very small sample size that I have. They're they're definitely grabbing people's attention and getting people to like look at magic either again or for the first time, but yeah, I have a friend who's a big doctor who fan that hasn't played magic in 20 years that bought the full set of four decks and just wants to keep them as like a game night 
you know, if I have some friends together, I can play and they know how to play magic, but <laughs> so you know, magic is Richard Garfield intended. Yeah. Or maybe yeah. expected is the better way to say it. He kind of intended the game to be its own thing and evolve as it will. But that was how he expected the game to be played. You get some cards, you stick it on your shelf when friends come over, you get play some games and you stick the guards back. Yeah. And I mean, I absolutely love this product. The Doctor Who product has been one of my favorite products that they've released in a while. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not putting down this product. I'm, I'm a huge fan of it. I love the decks. I love the uh, flavor. I, I thought everything was. We're going to talk more about this when Hobbs is on because he's also a big Doctor Who fan. So. We'll get more into those details later, but I'm not putting down the decks. I'm just saying it from a complexity standpoint, these products are just off the wall complex. And we, I don't think we have a new person friendly entry point at this point. You know, it used to be the core set. That was what they advertised as new person friendly. We don't have Mm -hmm. a core set anymore. No. You know, the core, what would have been the core set this year was the Lord of the Rings set. Yeah. Which had some very complex mechanics in it. Yes, it did. I mean, like, my, I still don't fully understand how the ring tempts you. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I'm still going to have to sit down and reread the thing to tell you how that thing works. And uh, that's a set I didn't ignore. That's a set I bought a bunch of stuff for. And, and, yeah. Yeah. When you're dealing with, you know, you, you have like every set has its classic draft archetypes. And, you know, some sets it'll be like blue green will be counters or um, plus one plus one counters matters. So a, a pretty clear archetype that is easy to grok. But in like Lord of the Rings, it was scrying. Which is, Ooh. you know, if you tell a new player that your your deck's goal is to scry cards and get synergy off of that, you know, what are they going to think about that? Yeah, that's a good point. And 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 something we, you know, as a as as enfranchised players who've been playing for a while, we think of, I think I can say, scry is a fun little add mechanic, value add thing. But you're right. If you're new to this, there's so many decision points to make. When you're scrying, you have to, is this a card I want to keep? Especially if you're scrying multiple cards, how many mm-hmm. on top, how many on the bottom, what order in both directions? What do I have in my hand? What am I, do I have on board that I'm planning to interact with these cards? And now there's when a lot do I even there. play my scry cards to trigger my, you know, scry payoffs that, you know, is, is there something that I want to, do I want to trigger this before combat? Do I want to draw the trigger this on somebody else's turn? Mm-hmm. There was so much going on with the Elven mechanics in that set. Just, and that was just one of the set of mechanics. So I, I think this just goes and then just the individual complexity on cards. And this is another thing I'm going to take from the props video is he was showing that there is more text on the Ashiok card from Wiles of Eldraine than there were on two of the previous Ashiok cards combined. It's, yeah, it's, it's a lot. I get fairly small sample size for what I've looked at, but a lot of the Planeswalker cards, again, the ones I've seen at least, just feel like their abilities are so much more dense. They don't seem like some of the early ones were just like, make a beast. Yeah. Draw you look at the initial Jace, it's everyone draws a card, 
I draw a card or target player mills 20. I mean, yeah. that is there, there are non un, you know, unset cards that have more words in their title almost. Yeah. It's, it's tough. And like I said, it, it's, this is a thing the game has, has gone through before with, with the time spiral block was, was a place where that really came to a head though. That cycle is my favorite. I love those three sets because of how, much they pulled from the previous years because I'd been playing the game from the almost the beginning of the game. And so Time Spiral, uh, why do I always forget the middle set? Uh, Planar Chaos? No. Yes, Planar Chaos. Sorry, it's, there's Plane Chase, Planar Chaos, other Planar sets. So pl- Time Spiral, Planar Chaos, Future Sight, the three sets were kind of set up as t- past, present, future, and all of them... Again, we were talking all about those stuff, and when when you get Tay and I on here, and this this kind of really digs into my love of sort of the mechanics and the flavor of the mechanics. But the, the, these three sets did a lot of that. The time spiral had the time shifted sheet that brought back a bunch of old cards. Planar Chaos had the the color shifted cards that were just exact print, you know, the exact text of other cards well, for the most part shifted in another color. That's where you get Damnation from Wrath of God. And then Future Sight had a bunch of cards from the future, which is just ridiculous how how complex that set got just on its own. And yeah, at the time, Future Sight had more keywords than any other site ever created or set ever created. And I, I wonder now if if that's still true. I'm sure it's still true for any other standard set. But if you count supplemental sets, I doubt that is still true. Yeah, yeah, especially with with the way some of these commander sets are built. They they intentionally like cherry pick cards to build decks, which is kind of what they're supposed to do, but the way they're built ends up specifically pulling in lots and lots of mechanics. To be honest, in the same way that Future Sight did. One of the things that made Future Sight so mechanically complex is there's like 14 mechanics that I counted on this article, maybe more that were brand new just for this one set. Most blocks add like three mechanics in the first set, maybe a couple later, but they mostly iterate on the things back in the three block, uh, three set block era. They mostly just iterated on the mechanics introduced early on. And this set not only (laughs) iterated on those mechanics and then brought back like another eight or so, and then keyworded a few things. So like lifelink and reach used to just be written out, like reach, cre- this creature can block flying. It used to just say this creature can block creatures with flying or something like that. I can't remember exactly how they worded it. but So that helped a little bit, but those were still mechanics being brought into this. There's just so many new words to read on these cards, and some of them for, were for one card or three cards. Yeah, like the card with Gravestorm on it. Yeah, the one card with Gravestorm. Yeah, one card. Yeah, we had a cycle that had uh, uh, Delve with Mechanic, which was, you know, originally then pr- originally printed in Cons. Yeah. Yeah, there was nothing wrong with that mechanic. No, I love the mechanic, but it was just like, again, this is this, I think that's the top. <laughs> like, most of them were one to, th- I think they were all one to three. Yeah. Whenever they do a cost-saving mechanic, nothing ever goes wrong with that. No, absolutely not. Same with anything that has Storm in the name of it. There's probably why there was only one card with Gravestorm in this set. 
But yeah, so that ended up leading to something we don't, which at this point is is really old, so we don't need to talk about it too much. But that that literally led to something they called New World Order. Like they created this entire thing where they're like, we are going to change how complexity is put into magic cards. Because this was such a, it caused such an issue with new players being really unable to, having a very difficult time entering the game. It just made the game very opaque for, for, for people to get into. And so they create like this is this whole thing where wizards came out and said we're gonna do this stuff and here's all the details of it and this is how we're gonna try to change and trying to communicate all these changes not just it was so big they didn't just make a few tweaks and say hey by the way we changed some stuff like they had this whole name for it this whole campaign internally externally to try to communicate all of it because that just it it was it it got to a, a point where it was an issue for the game the, the game wasn't in a good spot. It was hard for people to play and it was, it hit a big downturn. And, yeah. and if you uh, ever listen to uh, Mark Rosewater's podcast at all, he talks about the ages of design and that was the start of a new age of design for magic. Yeah. If, if you're interested in like behind the scenes stuff, there's so much that he covers in, in drive to work where he literally just records on his phone while he's driving to work. It's uh, just don't listen to anything he says about lore. He is not well, the lore person at magic. And no, no, he... no, that's true. Yeah. The last time he was actively involved in lore was what Tempest block 25 yeah. years ago or something like that. Yeah. But, but he has a lot of, if, if you're interested in behind the scenes stories or some of the mechanical things, because he's been the head designer there for a while, he has a lot of insight on a lot of those things. And it's, I haven't listened to the podcast for a little while now, but that when I kind of got back into the game, that was one of the things that kind of helped bring me back into the game was listening to a few years of that podcast and just immersing in some of that sort of angle of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I pretty much did the same thing. It's, tells you a lot about the design philosophy of what's going on. And if you don't want to listen to hundreds of hours of podcasts because he releases them constantly, you can also just read his annual um, state of design uh, articles, which kind of cover, he reviews all of the sets that came out during the year and, and talks about what went right and what went wrong. Yeah, those are really good too. Those I have been, uh, I don't think I've read every one of them recently, but those I've mostly been keeping up on recently. Those are, and it's it's a smaller little piece and it's really interesting to to get that perspective. And again, what, you know, and there's some things that you may or may not agree with all of his conclusions on stuff, but it's good to get his perspective because of where he's at and what he's, he's actively involved in a lot of this stuff. And so he comes out and says, here is a priority I have. You know that's a priority that's going to be sort of involved in the game, at least mm-hmm. the, the building of it. Yeah, it's, you know, he's, if it's about designing the game, he's kind of the voice of God for that. Mm-hmm. Or if it's yeah, Silver Border on stuff. He's, yes, he's, he's also, <laughs> he is the rules manager for Silver Bordered Magic. Uh, so he, he makes rules decisions there. So uh, I think we discussed a couple of weeks ago the fact that there are um, there are gatherer rulings or, uh, for silver bordered cards. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if he, he was involved in that some way because he is a big champion of that in, internally and talks about that. 
because that's a thing, at least for him, how he uses it now is it's a good testing ground. It's a good proving ground for some of these mechanical things that either they don't know if it's worth the work to make it work, or they're not sure if it is fun or if it would even work at all. And so it lets them sort of test things out and, and decide, is this worth putting into the base game? Or even if they don't ever look at it that way, it might just be, we can just do something fun that doesn't fit in the normal rules. Like one of my favorites that he talks about a lot is last strike. So you have first strike and then he wants to get last strike in the game, but the rules, the current actual like rules manager for the actual rules of the, the primary game says you can't do it. We can't do it. It can't work. And so he gets to just squeeze that into, uh, into and then the we get triple place. strike too. And, you... Yeah. Which then you get to have triple strike, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. Which I would love to be a real mechanic. <laughs> oh, that would be so cool. <laughs> and that's another one where I don't know the rule stuff and maybe it really just doesn't fit with the current rules and things. And that's too bad. That's too bad. But that is one that is, super easy to grok it's super easy to understand the concept if you understand first strike you can understand last strike it makes things a little bit more complex but way less than some of these brand new all these other mechanics that are on things that you have to read the card every single time to see all of the details of what it's describing i mean yeah, i'm saying like, that i want to i want to read a specific card here because this is what kind of <laughs> brought the whole idea of this episode about and it, it's a new card from lost caverns of ixalan sovern akanek oahu i'm sure i butchered that name i'm sorry i need to learn how to pronounce these uh Whenever uh, Sovereign Akanek Oahu attacks, for each creature you control with power greater than that creature's base power, put a number of plus one, plus one counters on that creature equal to the difference. Now, I had to read this like three times before I understood what it was saying. You and I were talking about that before recording, and I still didn't realize it was a trigger when it attacks. <laughs> oh my god. That is... So so what what happens much. is you basically look at each creature, and if its power is modified, it gets a number of counters equal to the difference. So if I have a creature with a that has equipment on it that's giving it plus two power, it's also going to get plus two plus two plus one plus one counters. And the next turn, it would get four plus one plus one counters because it has the equipment plus the two plus one plus one counters. Oh my god! And I didn't even understand how it works. Oh, this is. I mean, it's cool. It's a really powerful card. It's a it's a mythic. Like those things are supposed to be powerful and splashy, and it's a legend. As you said beforehand, it fits really well in a cat deck you have. Which yeah, is I have a, I have a cats with swords deck, so they're all usually getting buffed by their equipment. So this goes right in there. It fits right in there. It's a cat noble. It's perfect for the deck. That's interesting. It's a really great um, Victor Adama Meninga's art. He's just amazing. Probably my second favorite artist in the game. Yeah, and in both arts, this this cat is left-handed too. Yes, he is. I didn't even notice that. Sorry, <laughs> notice weird details sometimes. Yeah, but yeah. So 
that like a super cool card, but that is so complex. And then and then speaking about complexity, and, and besides that ability, it's a three four with ward two for four mana. So you stack yeah. that on on top of the ability. Yeah, and it can't even have round stats to be like a three three or a four four to make that easier to track. Yeah, <laughs> it's so th- yeah. this card um, inspired cardboard crack comic that basically was the same the, the guy reading the card three panels in a row and then it was like <laughs> I, I think i finally understand yeah it's it's unfortunate and, and, that, and then then the, the punchline card is like now there's only 200 more cards to read yeah that's what i was gonna say because yeah. that's you know we've had cards that complex before but i think what's unusual is that we don't have cards that are you know, we don't have the vanilla cards anymore, and so even the base cards are are more complex than they used to be. Yeah, it's it, it's a change really fast, and then you know the real question is where does it go from here? Because mm-hmm. are they going to have another reset like New World Order, where they ratchet everything down again to kind of rewind everything, or are they going to just continue? this complexity overload to the point where people can't play the game without getting a migraine. He's, you know, like I, I talked about my group of friends playing Dr. Who and by the end of the game, they were all just mentally exhausted and, you know, that they, I don't know if they really enjoyed playing that game a lot because they were just having trouble following what was going on. Yeah. I mean, and, and, complex cards speaking as a person who likes mechanics those things can be a lot of fun cards with multiple mechanics can be a lot of fun to sort of interact with those things my friends and i used to joke about uh predator flagship back in high school as a we called it a one card combo because it, it has the ability to give give a creature flying and then it has a separate ability where it taps to destroy a creature with flying i've always loved that design too it is especially in the story you know you <laughs> You have Grevin tossing people overboard. Yeah, like it, it, it is. It, it's a great Melfels design where it has a good flavor and the good mechanics that sort of fit with the flavor. And but like, so I love those things. But it can be tough when you play a game of Magic that is so complex that you don't want to play another game. Like that is starting to, and it can be an isolated thing. But it, that is starting to feel like that is a that could be an issue. Like I had a game and this is no, this has nothing to do with current design because this boils down to a friend of mine playing a Kynos and Tiro deck that has Hive Mind in it. But that was a game I played recently where it was so complex by the end. There was so much going on. We were basically done. We did play one quicker game after that, but we all very specifically found simpler decks and we ended that game pretty quickly. <laughs> there were some people who even toward the end were just like, you know what? I could try to drag this out. I'm just going to be done now because we played for two hours and I, I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun digging through the, all the extra triggers that hive mind is giving this instance and sorceries to every person at the table. It all, I also won that game despite the, I mean, we all lost the game, but I officially on paper won the game. <laughs> yeah, we, we ended that game with five copies of Teferi's Protection on the stack 
five copies of Demonic Tutor on the stack and one copy of Expedite on the stack that I didn't cast because everyone else died to the Expedites that they cast. Oh, jeez. Because before that on the stack was a Crimson Wisps preceded uh, before that by an Enter the Infinite. So the, the the short version is everybody drew their entire deck except for one card and then had to draw two cards. And then had to draw two. Yeah. And because I was the person who cast the last draw spell, I didn't have to draw the second card. <laughs> it was ridiculous. That, that I don't want to get into it. There was an extra time thing. There was an extra turn thing that was basically a reverse from Uno for a little while. It was a strange game. It was a lot of fun. But games like that... Are like we're done for, for me I'll, I'll play one game like that in a day and if if things start to ratchet up enough if a set of pre-cons is playing games that are complex enough like that you're done after one that is tough when I yeah get together. it is it's you know and the game went three hours so far i've played two games with these pre-cons in all up pod of four with the pre-cons and both of them have gone three hours yikes and that's just a lot. And it's like, I don't mind long games, but long, complex games just, like I said, leave you tired. <laughs> it sounded like yeah. that was your your experience, you and your friends. Yeah, it, it was, you know, we had this conversation, uh, Hobbs and I had this while we were, we were playing uh, the car, the decks with some members of our Discord. And, you know, that kind of started this conversation. And I'm just like, look at our board states and look where we're at. And then you had planes chase on top of that. And yeah, that just ratchets up the complexity even more because you have a whole nother state to track. And then you have planes that are, you have the one that's sort of like a hive mind that puts, everyone has to put a spell in the center and you can play other people's spells out of the center of the table. God. Oh, See that was like in the, in that game I was talking about the the Kynos and Gerald player actually played telepathy I think is the name of it which is an enchantment that makes everyone else play with their hands revealed yeah and within I don't know a turn like we we're all looking at each other's hands the rest of us basically stopped it was just the game was compl- the board was a complex enough we just like whatever's in your hand it's sitting faced up on the table i'm not even looking at it because whatever i don't you, yeah you, you. <laughs> i used to play when i first came back to the game i used to put zer's weirding in all of my decks but i just <laughs> uh and for those not familiar this card says everyone plays with the, their hand face up and whenever anyone draws a card a player may pay two life to make them discard the card <laughs> yeah it's talk about having to track everything going on, yeah. on the board uh and it just basically grinds the game to a halt and the red player in me who's like i i i want to see everybody on equal terms and just not have any cards is great but i also want the game to end so that was kind of, you know, my thought when I came back to the game is I'm just going to make everybody play evenly. And if I don't have any cards, no one else is going to have cards either. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it just turns out it's no fun for anybody when everybody's just paying two life to make them discard everything they draw. Yeah, it makes all your draws like the Ristic cards from Prophecy. And outside of... Ristic study that manages to sort of turn it on its head because of the way that it works. Those cards just don't get played. 
So many of this is just like, you get to do something moderately okay, unless someone pays too. It's like, why? Yeah, it's, and they used to design things differently back then. It also yeah. has, it, appropriate to the name, it has one of the weirdest arts of any card. The original printing is basically like a oh, yeah. shot looking up his robe from the bottom I've never quite understood what's going on in that art, but it's a really cool piece of art. To look at because I was looking. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the Ice Age one. Hold up the ninth edition, which is a probably from seventh. Uh... Yeah, it's a Liz Danforth piece, and it, it looks really cool. But it, it's yeah. also just like, what is going on here? Yeah, and it's just like colorful for no reason. God, I loved art. The art in Ice Age. Yeah. Liz Danforth is an amazing old school magic artist. A lot of her work is just top notch. Yep. But yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll have to see. Ultimately, you know, the the last New World Order when that happened, like that was in response not just to this complexity getting to that point, but also it got where magic had a downturn. It hit them in the wallets or whatever the expression is. Well, people just weren't buying cards because people weren't able to enjoy the game as much. And so I don't know. I'm I'm hoping we don't have some some big fall off that causes them so to have far, to scramble. But. Yeah, I mean, so far, Magic is making Hasbro truckloads of money, and they're going to keep doing mm-hmm. what they're doing because it's working. It's making. Um, Hasbro just released their financials and Wizards is making them a ridiculous amount of money. So they're going to keep releasing product at this breakneck pace. They're going to keep releasing 100 secret layers a year. They're going to keep releasing, uh, announcing a new product every week because that's what their stockholders want. And it's making them money. So there's no reason for them to change course from a business perspective until it starts to affect their bottom line. And right now that's not the case. No. And, and I don't know. Well, we'll have to see kind of how that shakes out. Um, and I think we are in a little bit of a different environment. I think uh, commander, well, a commander itself is a little more complex, but it's also more friendly than the standard and draft that things are supposed you know, that the the entry point before was. I mean, and we say that despite the fact that hi- historically kitchen table was still always like the most common. The the most people do kitchen table stuff, but I, I I Yeah. I also think one of the big differences from the time spiral block till now is just how many people play like draft on arena that people aren't just playing one draft a week or one draft a month. They're drafting several times a week so they're used to the higher complexity yeah the people that are drafting are doing it a lot yeah the 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 enfranchised people are doing it more and so they're they're not hit getting hit by it as much i think the new people coming in are more are less likely to go into competitive formats than they were in the past and so if you're sitting with friends around a table that complexity is something you can navigate more easily because you're all just kind of working through it while you're hanging out as opposed to at a at a draft table where you are incentivized to not help your opponent navigate the complexity of the board state so that you can win and take advantage of that 
So that might help support higher levels of complexity in the game without it having the same negative ramifications. Yeah. I don't know. I, I do think though that it, it's, I, and I think it's, it's going to be a bigger problem with some of the universes beyond product, because if you're trying to bring it, bring in players from outside of magic and giving them these ultra complex products is going to be counterproductive to keeping them interested long-term. Yeah. Or even just to teach them how to play that. Yeah. Game. Just to get them started. And, and the thing is, I want these products. I want these complex products because mm-hmm. I think, I think they nailed the flavor on, they nailed the flavor for Lord of the Rings. They nailed it for Dr. Who. They, you know, as yeah. far as I know, they I'm... nailed it for Warhammer. I'm <laughs> not, and I'm staring at the the Fallout revealed cards, and some of these are real good. Yeah, and it's they're they're hitting this mechanically so well, and they're doing a good job telling the story in the cards. But they're also it's you know getting the people to understand how to play with these cards is, and I'm I'm wondering if that's getting lost in this. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like I said, the, these are products we've liked. These are products we've enjoyed. And and uh, I can say as a, as a person who, the, I think the one person on the cast who, who's big into Fallout, I'm really looking oh, forward I'm, to the I'm really looking forward to the Fallout. Oh, you too. too. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'm, cool. I'm very excited. I have, I have played all the games. I am... Oh, excellent. I am a, a New Vegas trans girl. That was my favorite Fallout game. Nice. So Yeah, I mean, it, it's and, probably the best. <laughs> yeah. I... We can get in that discussion later. We'll talk about that next year. You you and Hobbs still have to sit down and talk about Doctor Who. I'm very excited yeah. for you two to get to talk through Doctor Who. Yeah. So that'll be uh, that'll be soon. Very soon. Yes. Um, yeah. Hopefully next week's episode will be uh, that. And uh, if everything goes planned. Yeah. No, that that would be good. And. But I do want to say, though, just and this kind of ties into our general we haven't talked a lot about mental health lately, but, you know, people play magic as an escape from some of their other issues. And if they're really taxing their mind this much playing magic, sometimes it's not the escape they're seeking. And And I, I know just sometimes like stress from multiple sources can sort of have an additive effect and, and in, in a small amount, uh, no hubs talks about it a lot. Stress in, in small amounts can be very helpful, can be very good, but there's a lot of stress these days for a lot of various reasons. And, and your hobby, which is a, supposed to kind of be the escape and the recharge causing that much. Uh, and maybe stress is even the wrong term for it, but if it's causing you to have a migraine, if it's so complex that you can't actually just escape and into a game, that is like you say, maybe it isn't serving the same purpose that it used to. And that can be difficult. And that can be something that sometimes is difficult to identify until it's way down the road and it's causing other issues. And then you start to work your way back and realize, Oh, well this thing that used to be how I recharge is now taking energy from me, just like all the other things in my life. So, I mean, just consider it, reflect on it. And are you getting what you need out of, out of the game? There is the, 
is the complexity or anything else, the daily magic drama or anything detracting from what you enjoy about it to the point where it's a net negative for you. Yeah. And, and maybe there's, and especially if you have a smaller, if you have a closer knit play group, a specific play group, there's some things you can do to mitigate that within the group. If, if multiple people are feeling this, that's how a number of years ago, the Minneapolis group kind of came up with our, the dollar general format we built, uh, Alex Zito, who's one of the people, I think he was just looking for a deck building challenge when he just did a Twitter poll. It was like, what, what dollar amount should I cap my cards at? And then that one dollar, a dollar one. And then he built that deck and so did a dozen other people in the area. And that just became a format we played for a while. And that at the time for us was nice complexity. Like it, brought the complexity down. It changed the format a little bit. For me, I loved that it just attacked Commander from a different angle. And so it's possible, if this is a thing, maybe find some other challenge. Find some other you know deck building things or find some other way that is interesting to, to your play group and get out of that or change that you know, even just a little bit. Take a break from it. Yeah, I... I personally enjoy the mentally challenging decks. I like it when people say, I have no idea what's going on on your board, uh, <laughs> which I tend to get a lot, especially when I'm playing some decks like Nero, where I have six or seven triggers happening when I cast a spell. Yeah. To but me, it's... That, that's enjoyable to me, uh, but not everyone likes that. Yeah. So now I just like when I play weird cards and people are like, why is, why are you playing fractured power stone? You know, it's it's a matter of, I guess never you never know when you're going to need to roll that plane or die. Yeah, exactly. And that's our show for today. You can find all of the hosts on Twitter for now. Hobbs can be found at Hobbs Q. Taya can be found at Taya Transcends, and Alex can be found at Mel underscore Chronicler. Feel free to send us any questions, comments, thoughts, hopes, and dreams to the Goblin Lord Pod on Twitter, or email us at goblinlordpodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to support your friendly neighborhood gobslugs, our link tree can be found on our Twitter account and in the description of today's show. This has everything from various discount codes to the link for our Patreon. The music for today's show was by Vintergotten, who can be found at Vintergotten at Bandcamp.com. The art was done by Stephen Raphael, who can be found at Steve Raffle on Twitter. Goblin Lore is proud to be presented by Hipsters of the Coast as part of their growing Vorthos content. Check them out on Twitter at HipstersMTG or online at HipstersOfTheCoast.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers.